Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Welcome everybody to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, and if I must say, if you are listening to this and you are not sitting down, you need to sit down and buckle up because we have a ton to cover today in a short amount of time to do it. Uh, It just dawned on me as I was sitting down to record this here intro that this is the last episode I will air without having gone deer hunting. That's right. Uh, First week in September, I'm headed to Nebraska to go deer hunting which means that this, uh, like, like I just said it, <laughs> this this is the last episode that I will put out this year without having gone deer hunting. So lots of stuff coming up. Uh, September 1, my boss and I are going to play hooky and go dove hunting at least in the morning. Hopefully I might be able to get out back in the afternoon. Who knows there? And then the very next day after work, I'm going to be booking it to Nebraska. And uh, my plan is to hunt Nebraska Saturday evening, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, if need be Monday morning. And then I'm going to fly back home. So uh, I've talked about it a whole lot on this thing. It's going to be a super quick early season, uh, hopefully velvet hunt. I don't know. I feel like I've been hearing a lot of talk from across the country that bucks seem to be shedding their velvet a little early this year. So hopefully they're still in velvet, but if not, they're still going to be on those early season patterns. And and I can't wait. I have never hunted whitetails in September and uh, yeah, yeah. I can't talk. I can't tell you guys how excited I am. So uh, yeah, so last podcast before my hunting season kicks off, and I guess everybody's, hopefully y'all are dove hunting or early season teal hunting, something, get out there and get after it. So that's one thing. Uh, one other thing, uh, another quick announcement, uh, kind of exciting, selfish announcement, but uh, this last weekend, I actually took my daughter, my six-week-old daughter, out to the ranch with me, gave my wife a little break, and uh, I had, I actually typed up a list on my phone of things I needed to bring, things I needed to do. I had it organized like by spot, uh, you know, all these things I needed to get done. Uh, I moved some blinds. I anchored some blinds. I cut shooting lanes. I replaced straps. uh, I added a feeder. Basically, long story short, I am pretty much 100% ready to go as far as all my hunting setups. There were two different setups where I, I I remembered I had on my list a pole saw, but I could not find my pole saw. I looked in both our barns, our sheds. I don't know if my brother used it or something. Could not find my pole saw. So I have like two or three more limbs that I need to cut. Um, but I have, I don't know, I didn't count them, but I have a bunch of tree stands hung. I have a bunch of blinds set up. I have shooting lanes. Uh, all the feeders are in place. I checked all the feeders. All the motors are good. Uh, put new brand new batteries in the ones that needed batteries. Um, basically all that is left 
is I need to plant my food plots, fill the feeders, and I am ready to go. So that is super exciting for me. I hope it's exciting for you guys too. Honestly, I got like way more done than I thought I would get to do, get to do this off season with having the baby and everything. Um, but you know, it helps if you take the baby with you and it was super, it was actually very fun. Uh, it was different. Uh, you know, it was definitely slower. I had to, to stop and feed her. I had to stop and change diapers. Um, but she basically just rode around the truck with me. She actually, she loved the bumps. Like, uh, there's a couple times where like she'd be fussy and then we'd hit like a patch of hog wallows or, uh, gopher mounds or something like that. And she would like fall asleep. It was, it was, I guess it just rocked her to sleep. Um, but yeah, so I loved having her out there. Really wasn't that big of a deal. I basically just left the truck running as I was doing stuff, had her in her car seat and she slept through 99% of it. So, so that was great. So like I said, basically all I got to do is fill my feeders, plant my food plots. I'm ready to go. Still trying to figure out when that is going to get done. I'm hoping to maybe run up there again this Saturday and at least fill my feeders. Um, I'm not sure what the tractor situation is with my brother and the ranch and everything. Uh, and I also have to do some dozer work on our road back to the back last year. Uh, I basically, I should not have been able to get the drill to the back last year to plant my food plots. I basically just kind of forced it up this hill. Uh, but I can't do that again and it's washed out even worse. So I'm going to have to get some equipment back there, fix the road, uh, in order to get the drill back there to plant my food plots. So, so yep, that's another quick announcement. And then the last one I have done one of my sponsors, one of the partners of this show, as well as you guys, a huge disservice. Uh, and I apologize to both of you, to the, the sponsor itself and to all you listeners. Um, I, y'all hear me talk every week about deer lab. Uh, I'm very excited to use it this year. Uh, I've been plugging in old trail camera photos to kind of get some historical data going. Um, uh, but I have a discount code, my very first discount code, and I have not let you guys in on it. And so if you want 20% off on deerlab.com, uh, use the code Oklahoma outdoors, all one word, all caps and you'll get 20% off of your membership for Deer Lab. Highly recommend it. I've act, I've used it in the past before I even thought about starting this podcast. It's a super cool software, and it's only gotten better, actually. Um, in the past, like with cell uh, camera photos, you know, the, the cell camera would come to my phone, I'd screenshot it, and when I uploaded it into Deer Lab, I would have to go in and manually do, like, the time and date and all that. Uh, I don't know what they did to it, but now it, it can just rip that. Even if you screenshot it, even if it doesn't go directly to your computer or whatever, it can still get that data uh, off of the picture and plug it in automatically. Um, again, I talk about it every week. It's a super awesome program, so please take advantage of that code, DeerLab.com, uh, promo code Oklahoma Outdoors, and I will do a much better job of pushing that code uh, because it's just helpful for everybody. So. Let's see here. I think that's the last of my announcements. Uh, we have a great show. So long story short, it was uh, at the National Wild Turkey Federation Deer Conference a few weeks ago. I sat in on a class. I believe the title of it was Advanced Bow Hunting Tactics. And, uh, and the guy leading it was Michael Harrell. And uh, he has a TV show called Surrender Outdoors. And after everything was over and after you know some people went up and asked him questions, I snuck up there, uh, talked to him for a while. We exchanged business cards. 
great guy, absolutely great guy, and he was he not only was willing to come on the show, he was excited about coming on the show. Uh, and I'm very excited to have him on because he hunts a very unique part of Oklahoma. He's a southeastern Oklahoma mountain hunter. He was born and raised there. Still hunts there to this day. He films his hunts. Uh, we talk about it. Uh, you know, if you want to follow along on his journey, which I obviously uh, definitely encourage you to do so, we talk about all the places you can do that. Uh, but we talk, I mean, very specific mountain hunting scenarios. Uh, you know, how hard it is to to grow food plots. Um, we talk bears. You know, that's something that not a lot of people have to deal with, but it's, it's becoming more and more of a thing as the black bear population rises in the state. Uh, so yeah, we talk about that. We talk about acorns. We talk about thermals. Just a ton of really cool, kind of niche little deer hunting things. Uh, and again, like part of the thing that makes Oklahoma so awesome is just how diverse it is. And I want to be able to reach all the corners of the state, all the different species, all the different terrains, and all that. So this is just another step in that direction. So again, uh, we have a nice long episode, so I don't want to uh, talk too much more in this intro. So yeah, I thank you guys for listening. Hunting season is upon us. I hope you're ready. Get out there and practice with your bow. I've been shooting my bow quite a bit. Um, put your broadheads on. You know, don't just be shooting field points. It's time to get those broadheads on. Get it dialed in. And let's get ready to go. So, all right, that's all I have. Uh, we're going to listen to a, a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to jump into this episode with Michael Harrell. Thank you guys for listening, and boom, here we go. Have you ever had second thoughts about what stand you should climb into or what time you should be out there? I know I have. If you're in the same boat and want to make more informed decisions using the trail cam photos that you're seeing, Deer Lab was made for you. Deer Lab is a web-based app that takes your photos and turns them into hunting intel, allowing you to make data-driven decisions during the hunting season. Visit DeerLab.com to learn more and start your 30-day free trial. If you like what you see, use coupon code OKLAHOMAOUTDOORS, all one word, to receive 20% off any plan. I guarantee you, after using Deer Lab, you'll never look at your trail cam photos the same. Arrowhead Land Company is your one-stop shop for Oklahoma real estate. If you're trying to buy or sell land, they have experienced agents that can help you accomplish your goal. The Arrowhead Land Company team is growing by the day and thus continuing to grow a massive network of buyers and sellers across the state. So if you're looking for a piece of land to grow your booner bucks on or looking for a place where they already exist, contact the great team at Arrowhead Land Company and let them go to work for you. Hardworking agents serving hardworking landowners. The weather is cooling off, and it's actually bearable to be outside again, so right now is a perfect time to go to privatewaterfishing.com and sign up for your membership. The way it works is you go online and browse their large list of private lakes. When you find one that has everything you're looking for, you simply book the date you want to go, and it's all yours. It's that simple. When you book it, that means you have the entire thing to yourself, and they have a waiting period built into the schedule so you know that not only do you get it all to yourself, but nobody was there the day before boogering up the fishing for you. And these aren't just farm ponds. These are well-managed 10-plus acre lakes we're talking about. So go to privatewaterfishing.com to learn more. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show. And Today we have an awesome guest. We're talking to Mr. Michael Harrell. How you doing, Michael? I'm blessed, buddy. How are you? <laughs> That's a great answer. I like that answer, man. Oh, man, it's a it's a great day, and uh, we get to talk a little deer hunting today, so I'm I'm pretty happy. 
Oh yeah, anytime we can talk about deer hunting is a good day. Yeah, better when we can be out there. But that's true. Talking about it's almost as good. That is true. And today we're talking to kind of a kind of a niched kind of deer hunting that I'm very excited about. We're going to talk about mountain hunting, mountain bucks. So, uh, so yeah, very excited about that. I've done it a little bit, not a ton. Um, but but real quick, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we get too far along, uh, real quick, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh, about Surrender Outdoors? Right. Well, we are. Surrender Outdoors is a, a faith-based ministry. Uh, we're a ministry before we're a TV show. So um, we do have a TV show, and uh, we can tell you at the end of this uh, kind of where to find us. But uh, Surrender started uh, in 2012, and um, I was with Buck Ventures Outdoors for six years of my career. And then uh, that's who started it all out for me was Jeff Danker and Buck Ventures. And then I went to Final Descent Outdoors with Brad Clay and that group for about five. And just the door started open for me to be able to go share testimony. And and um, the good Lord started opening the door for me to kind of do my own thing. And, and uh, Surrender Outdoors spawned from that. And um, we've been rolling since 2012 and growing and doing really well. Awesome, man. Lucky number 10 this year, huh? Yep. Yep, ten years. That's great. That's awesome. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, I'm I'm very excited to have you on today, and uh, you're a you're a southeastern Oklahoma guy, and we've had some people on that you know hunt southeastern Oklahoma. Um, I'm I'm technically a southeastern Oklahoma guy, but I'm south of the mountains, and so I'm I'm not near as experienced as you are with that rough terrain. Uh, so I'm excited to have you on. You know, somebody who's really experienced, and uh, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this one. So, right. I'm I'm excited to share. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, the first thing I want to talk about is just food. Um, you were at the the deer conference what, a week or two ago uh, with me, and I sat in on your on your session there. And you know, one of the first things you pointed out was that you can't just go out there and plant a nice green food plot up in the mountains. So, uh, talk about that a little bit, the struggle with that, and kind of what you're gonna what you, basically what you have to do instead. Right. Well, as you know, it's hard to get anything to grow in rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have to find old logging trails, um, of course, pastures. You know, when we're talking to mountains, we're talking about two different kinds of terrain. We're talking about the bottoms and, of course, the tops, the ridges and and peaks of the hills, which, you know, we call them mountains. Mm-hmm. They say they're not mountains here in Oklahoma, but I challenge anybody to come hunt where I hunt and we'll walk to the top and We'll see if at the end if you call it a mountain or a hill. That's right. That's right. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I grew up in the Kaimishi Mountains in Snow, Oklahoma, 17 miles north of Antlers. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that, that knows where that's at because Antlers is, of course, the deer capital of the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, so growing food there was, you know, growing up, we, we didn't, we didn't do food plots or anything like that, but, as I got into my hunting career and, and wanted to do management and different ways to attract deer and, and feed them, you know, I started trying to figure out how how can I feed the deer. Um, I experimented with, with all kinds of stuff. I had property that was in the bottoms, property that was on ridges and on the tops, and could get very little stuff to grow. So one of the main things that we do is coarse feed. Um, we, we use feeders. Uh, my title partner for Stranger Outdoors is a is a company called One and Done Game Feeders. Uh, they make a feeder that's bear proof, varmint proof, and um, 
not here to promote them, but that's a big part of my success is being able to use those feeders. And, um, of course, with the hogs, you know, we, we pound T-posts in the mountain rocks and try to keep the hogs off of it. But um, but in those feeder pens, we're not only feeding corn, but we're feeding protein and, you know, just attractants and things that deer really like. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, I got several questions just with that. Um, for your feeders, do you prefer, are you using mostly spin cast? Do you ever try to use protein? Do you just dump it on the ground? Um, I, I'm a spin cast person. I've mostly spin cast, but I've heard of other people saying that they have better luck putting, you know, just like a two protein feeder out there, uh, you know, claiming deer will use them, uh, more often and in daylight and stuff. Have you ever experimented with that or, uh, what's your thought on feeder types? Well, we use all three that you mentioned. Uh, as far as our feeder type, it, it's I only use one-and-done feeders uh, because they're a directional feeder. Um, I've always had issue with with bucks in the mountain, um, not not necessarily in the lower areas where I actually live now, but walking under a tripod, walking under a feeder. And so when I found these one-and-done game feeders, they simply strapped to a tree. And the deer think that they're they're part of a tree. I mean, we we post several pictures on our pages of, of deer actually licking the corn dust off the lip of the feeder. Um, as far as protein, we we do mix protein with corn in those feeders, but I like for deer to be able to get a mouthful of protein. It's really only doing them any good if they're getting a mouthful, you know, if they're able to get a pound or two a day. Uh, throwing it from a spin cast feeder you know, they're just getting a few a few pellets, mm-hmm. so they're not getting enough to do them any good. Uh, but I pour most of my protein on the ground or use like a cattle trough feeder, mm-hmm. but mostly on the ground. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, on like the trough feeders, do you have a cover over them or anything like that, or are they just kind of out there in the weather? Yeah, the the couple that I use have a cover over them, just, gotcha. just, just like you get at the ag store. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just... You want to get one of the taller ones so a, a buck's not hitting his antlers during velvet and messing up his horns. But like I said, there's very, very few places, and we don't feed year-round in those. I like to pour it on the ground. Um, I have a technique that I use. Uh, people's like, well, what about your feed, you know, spoiling or, or rottening? Because grains are going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do, and this is going to sound bad, I'm just going to use it as an example, <laughs> I pour out lines, so almost like a drug addict would pour out cocaine. I know I told you that's a terrible <laughs> way to explain it, uh-huh. but that does a couple of things. I pour those lines out. Um, I go every two weeks and pour out feed, and I pour out four or five lines, two to four inches deep, um, eight to ten feet long. Mm-hmm. And that does two things: it keeps your feed from rottening, being in a pile, and fermenting. And it also lets other deer, uh, some of the inferior bucks, uh, some of the does, it lets them feed at the same time. Because when you pour it in a pile, it, that that old matriarch doe and that mature buck, the bad boy there, you know, they'll they'll knock them off of it. So I, I like to pour it out, even when I'm using it as an attractant, to where multiple deer can come in and feed at one time. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I like that. I've. I've done that before, but I can't say I do that every time. That's a good point. I like that. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, another question, you, you touched on it just a little bit about how, you know, you got the mountains and you got the bottoms and stuff. Um, when you're setting up your feeder or your bait sites, do you tend to put them like higher up on the mountain? Do you tend to put them lower in the middle? And I'm thinking as far as, you know, like wind and access and stuff like that. Um, is it just wherever you think a spot is good? Uh, where are you kind of setting them up on the mountain? Yeah, I, I have them in all three locations. I have them in the bottoms, on the ridges, you know, what I call the in-between, and on the tops. Um, primarily what I look for is not only the game trails but edges. Mm-hmm. Um, if Anywhere where the edge meets the bottom or there's a creek edge that's really grown up and, and really green and it meets a field, or the same thing with the ridge where, where say, Maybe a clear cut was done uh, years ago or a new clear cut. I'll set up on those edges. Um, that's what I look for primarily, no matter what the terrain is, is I try to find an, an, an edge with a trail on it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And then um, something that I think a lot, especially new hunters struggle with is, you know, they they go out, they have their, their hunting spot and they set up their one feeder. They put their one stand on it and they just hunt it over and over and over again. And obviously the more you hunt that spot, most likely the less deer you're going to see because that human pressure, um, you being primarily like a bait hunter, uh, how do you, how do you battle that? How, like, how do you keep from over hunting your spots? Lots of sit, uh, lots of scouting, lots of work in the off season. Um, that, that is, to hang one stand, one set, and hunt it. Um, I, I would always, at minimum, um, have two. I have around 30, 32 sets. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that's being on different properties. But um, just to give you an example, say I kill a lot of deer, a lot of my mature big deer on small property. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say small, I'm talking 10 to 30 acres. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of people are out there looking for, you know, a thousand acre lease, 400 acre lease. I, I don't have anything bigger than an 80. Hmm. So, um, with that being said, even on an 80 acre property, I'm going to have around four sets. Now that might not be feeding location, mm-hmm. but one of them may be in a travel corridor leading to that feeding location. Another one close to a bedding area where I know where I've hunted it, you know, for a few years and I know where a deer's bedding area is so that when I do need to move in, I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to have at least two feed locations on every property, whether they're 10 to 160 acres. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so spreading the love, spreading the love. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, uh, I feel like this is a, a big one that comes to play in the mountains. What about acorns? How do acorns, uh, play into your hunting strategy? And I guess one is, you know, do you, do you try to hunt? Like, do you try to pick a specific tree that deer are targeting? But then also, um, you know, the, the season that I hunted up in the mountains, I noticed we had a big windstorm one weekend, for example, it was kind of the first big windstorm of the fall and acorns just rained down onto the ground and every buck we had on camera quit showing up on camera because they, they didn't care about that corn anymore. So how does acorns play into your strategy? The, the years that we have them, it does make it a little more difficult. But I put, I intentionally put a lot of my feed sets in the oaks, um, 
on the edges. It, uh, it, it seems like in the mountains, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't hunt all over the country. I'm fortunate to go to, to a few other states, but when we do have a good acorn crop, it's use our oak trees on the edges of the creeks and the mountains are always the producers and always seem to be the ones that the bucks are under. So I'm already established, have an established feeding area there mm-hmm. so that that's not an issue. So if we have a, like the last several years, we've had a great crop of acorns. Uh, the buck I killed on opening day uh, two years ago was, was in a, 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 just on a creek bottom, you know, coming from the bedding area through some oaks where he would stage up and eat acorns before he went to the feed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he'd usually go to that feed pen uh, once or twice a night. But, I, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't going to catch him there in the daylight because he spent his time in the oaks, mm-hmm. you know, just right on the edge. So I already had a set there and was ready for him. Gotcha, gotcha. And then another question I had, and you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, um, you know, people across the state, a lot of people have to deal with hogs. I have to deal with hogs. Uh, they're just a very common thing. But something you guys are dealing with that most of the state is not is black bears, and they're just becoming right. more and more you know prevalent. Uh, some people think that's awesome. Some people are cursing them. Uh, and so, one, I guess, do you do you have to mess with bears a lot? And two, what are some of the steps you take to to try to combat the bears? I, I'll just be honest with you. I have had a couple of issues where they they've gotten into my feeder pen, but that was one reason that I sought out and was looking for a feeder that was bear proof, mm-hmm. um, because we had had some feeders, um, you know, ten or twelve years ago that were getting ripped down. You know, little hanging five gallon feeders and and things like that that the bear would just no matter how we hung them, they would get to them. And I found the one and done. And, and, uh, it, like I said, it's a bear proof feeder. It works great. There, there, there is a right way and a wrong way to strap it. So anybody that has had an issue with it, it's normally user error. Um, I've had bear literally on top of my feeder (laughs) in front of it, everything. They, they try it for about 20 minutes and they're not a, they're, a lot of stamina mm-hmm. so they tend to get tired they're kind of like me <laughs> a little overweight and and they tend to get tired and they'll just give up and almost lay there and pout in front of the thing mm-hmm. and you know they might come back once or twice checking it trying it but most of the time they're they're going right on down the creek or up the ridge to the next guy that's got a tripod feeder out and that you know the guy that continues and continues to put out the same type of feeder Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're going and visiting his every couple of weeks, tearing his stuff up. Yeah. Do they? So it's not an issue for me. Gotcha. Um, are they really looking to like, I guess, kind of go for the gold and break into it and get that whole thing at once, or like, you know, as the feeders just spitting corn out regularly, do you see them picking it up off the ground, or are they not really mess with that? No, they don't. They could care less about picking up individual pieces off the ground. From my experience. Um, that's why most people that bait, they bait in big piles or they bait in a barrel that's got a hole in it. Um, you know, they want the buffet. They they don't care anything about the hors d'oeuvres. So um, I, I've never experienced a bear picking up individual kernels. If they can't get it by the handful, mouthful, I mean, it's literally falling out of their mouth as they're eating. They're You know, they're gluttons. They're slaves to their stomachs. So 
Uh, they're going to do whatever they can to break into your feeder and, and get all of it. That's interesting. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that, I, I mentioned that lease that my is a lease that my brother and I were on. I, I just tried to look up where it was at, and my my phone won't load it for some reason. But, uh, but yeah, we we were on that trying to get a bear. You know, we had plenty of deer to hunt, um, and uh, so many of the guys up there. I mean, they were cursing them. Uh, the funny thing was, I mean, there was a bunch of people on this lease. Nobody was hunting them. And so, you know, right. we, we would run into people up there, uh, and, you know, we'd have our bear stuff. We had barrels and everything, and we'd tell them we were there more for the bears, and they'd all like, oh, yes, you know, thank goodness, and blah, blah, blah. But yet, none of them, none of them were hunting them. So I always thought that was funny, you know. If, I'm right. like, if you have all these problems, and, you know, you have, you, you're claiming that these bears are coming into your feeder all the time, buy yourself a tag and, and take one of them. But anyway, I guess it was more for me, so. Yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, I, I want to move on to, to something else, unless you have any other uh, any other tips or tricks on food before we move on. No, as, as far as bear, I'm not an experienced bear hunter. Um, you know, I know we're here to talk deer and mountain hunting, but bears are part of mounting, mountain hunting. Mm-hmm. I would just say to those guys that bear hunt, um, get there the first day or two, because when those acorns fall, from mm-hmm. my experience and and people that that have bear hunted on our properties that we've let go kill a bear uh once those acorns fall those bears are gone Mm -hmm. you know they pull off the donuts popcorn bacon grease you know Mm -hmm. they might come back every once in a while but when those acorns fall those bears move out and start traveling yep that's exactly what happened to us that year one of those windstorms like i was talking about my brother and i we each had a, a big big bear on our bait and a big windstorm came about four or five days before the season and uh, never saw him again. So, Right. Yep, happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one thing that I preach on this podcast a lot, and that's a lesson I learned uh, the hard way five or six years ago, is access. You know, just good access to your stand locations. Um, and I have to imagine in the mountains it just amplifies it ten times. And it's also probably more difficult just because of the terrain. So... Um, what are you doing to access your stands? Like, are you always trying to come in from above or below, or um, are you just basing it off where the deer are coming from? You're just trying to come from the opposite way. Uh, talk about just how you access your locations. Yeah, it, it, you know, it really depends on what the wind is doing. Um, nearly everything I do is based around wind direction and being in the mountains, you know, it, it's never consistent. Uh, it's never a consistent direction. Um, I try not to have multiple accesses to a stand and uh, you know, I, I've, I, I know out West and in other areas you can do that. Um, here you can't because you have one mountain road leading into a property. And once you get to that property, there's no other roads. You might be fortunate enough to have an old logging trail or something like that. But the more you put your footprint down, uh, the more you're going to, I mean, everybody knows that, the more you're going to alert those mature deer. And um, some of those younger deer, you know, the two- and three-year-olds, they don't pay attention to it a whole lot. But uh, when you're trying to hunt five-, six-, seven-year-old bucks, um, you want to keep your foot traffic to a minimum. So even if that means me driving a buggy um, most of the way into an area, I've gotten to where... The last several years, I've I've uh, figured out that deer get used to hearing that buggy, 
um, when I go in to feed or fill feeders. Um, you know, there's certain parts of the year that they don't seem to tolerate it as much, but I have literally drove in, put out feed, put protein on the ground uh, during the rut, and had a mature buck step out and or be on my camera, you know, get a notification that a buck is there on a cell camera before I can get back. And I'm only parking two or 300 yards, sometimes only 100 yards from those areas. So, so I like one one trail going in is what I like to is what I like to stick with. If the wind is wrong for that stand for me to walk in there, I, you know, I won't even attempt to go in. Hmm. Gotcha. So when you're when you're hanging your sets, you're thinking about not only how the wind's going to come and affect that stand, but your access too, because you just you're so limited to right. get to it. That's yeah, the easiest, quietest way to get there. So, and and you know, access is you can look at access so many different ways. You can look at it at timing too. Um, you can access, you can access a really good hunting spot on a wrong wind sometimes, um, by the time you go in, you know, depending on what your pictures are showing or, you know, it, it, a lot of people want to wait and walk in right at the edge of daylight. Uh, that's a lot of time when the, when the, the bucks seem to be moving or seem to be really alert. Um, I don't know what it is about that transition between being solid dark and starting to crack daylight, but I mean, I've walked right past them, you know, bedded in the dark and I'm not stand up and blow or anything, but, but do it right as it's cracking and, and they just go nuts. So I like to get to my stand well, way before I'm talking hour, hour and a half, because I got to set up camera equipment anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to get there, you know, an hour, hour and a half before it even thinks about cracking daylight. I'm normally sitting in the stand once I get the camera equipment set up in total darkness for over an hour. Hmm. Man, I'd be falling asleep. (laughs) I try to get there early, but I don't know if I've ever gotten there that early. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, if I got a bus that's showing up at five 30 in the morning, consistent two or three days, I I will get there at three 30 in the morning. Hmm. That's awesome. That's some dedication. Uh, and I did, I wanted to ask you about wind kind of while, while we're on the topic. Um, like me growing up, uh, I, I went to college in Idaho because I thought I was going to be an elk hunter. Turns out elk hunting's a whole lot harder than I thought it was. But uh, but when I got up to Idaho and got to the mountains, uh, I heard guys talking about thermals, and I had never even heard of what a thermal was. So if there's people listening, you know, flatlanders right. like like myself, uh, just give us a quick rundown of of one what thermals are, and then two how you. I, I guess it's how you hunt around. I was going to say use them to your advantage. I don't know if there is an advantage to them, but but how you go about uh, you know hunting with thermals in mind. Right. Well, the scientific term for thermals, you got me there. I, I can't tell you. Oh, I don't but need a scientific. The best, just, the, just the Oklahoma version. How about that? Here's the best way I can explain thermals. Uh-huh. So in the morning, thermals are rising. So the 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 warmer air is rising. In the evenings, the air is dropping, is falling. So that's why in the morning you will see, if you're in the mountains or it's a cool morning, and you can tell where a waterway's at, where a pond's at, because you'll see the fog rising from it. So thermals are are probably more important than the wind, even though that's part of the wind. Um, it, 
I, I would say that they're more important depending on if they're rising or falling. So just remember in the mornings they're going to be rising. In the evenings they're going to be falling. Uh, so that makes evening hunting really tough in the mountains. Um, you, you need a really steady, I, I like 10 to 12 and 12 to 15, depending on time of year. Um, our deer here in southeastern Oklahoma are southern deer. Uh, they, they tend to get cold very easily. Uh, they don't have a, a thick fat layer on them. They don't have a thick hide. So what I try to do is I never want to hunt in a low area in the evenings because my scent is falling straight to the ground. I like to be a little bit higher where I've got a consistent wind and the wind is blowing over a ridge or up a ridge where I don't think deer are coming from. Um, there's so many different scenarios. Uh, you know, deer tend to, tend to come to pastures in the evenings, and I will hunt those bottoms. I try not to, but it all depends on not just the thermal, but how hard the wind's going to blow and how I have that set and, of course, which direction it's coming from. Now, with getting COVID last year, I I had to find a way. I, I, I won't go into a long story on that, but, um, you know, we've lost a lot of people to COVID, and I'm blessed to still be here because I got really, really sick and, and got double pneumonia. And my doctors told me that I would have to cancel my season. And... Uh, Due, due to getting the double pneumonia, that I was going to be a candidate to continue to get it. Uh, plus, I was on full-time O2 at the time. So I got sick at the end of July and was sick all of August and and most of September. So I had to figure out a way, since I do this for a living, to, to not be in the elements. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've never been a box blind hunter. I have hunted out of some, you know, and I've hunted out of ground blinds and elevated ground blinds. But I knew even being in just a ground blind, you still get a lot of moisture in there. The moisture comes through the windows. You know, you're still exposed. I've been in a ground blind and, and gotten soaking wet, mm -hmm. you know, in a pop-up blind. So I needed something that was hard shell, that wasn't a box, that would allow me to shoot my bow. And I found a company, Crival Man Blinds, that makes a round blind that I could film out of and shoot my bow out of. And I built some blind stands you know, got them six to eight foot tall. And it amazed me that my hunting was limited last year on where I could go. I couldn't go to all my best spots. I couldn't hunt my best spots when I wanted to. So I had to just go where, where I could actually physically walk to without getting out of breath. Um, you know, until I could get my lungs built back up. Um, but what amazed me is I could sit in these round box blinds or round ground blinds, hard shelled, and have deer walk right under me on those platforms. I actually had one on the ground and went and hunted it, and it had been there for about probably a month, and the deer busted me right away with it on the ground. But in these six, eight-foot platforms, these deer were walking right under me, not smelling me. You know, I was keeping the windows closed, and, and would just open a window when I needed to when I needed to film or or uh, think I was going to take a shot. Uh, so I, I I feel like I'm on to something as far as being able to not full a deer's nose, but I don't I 
I don't understand why they can't smell me except for my scent isn't escaping and widespread and, and fall. This thing has a vent in the top of it. And, and there's other versions of this too, that have the same thing. I, I feel like that vent is letting the air go up and out in a smaller cone rather than, you know, if you look at scent and where you're sitting and the wind's blowing to you, I always try to figure out where's my cone. You know, it starts in a small area right where you're at, and it spreads as it gets further away from you. So that's where I get the term, you know, where, where is my scent cone? Um, not like a snow cone, a scent cone. You got that? <laughs> I got it. I'm with you. I, I like snow cones, too. So that I, ref, I know I didn't touch on that. That was one of the things that I really wanted to touch on, and, and we kind of ran out of time at the conference. Uh, you know, just seemed like once we got going good it, it was over with but uh the scent cone is very important so being in those blinds i hope all this is making sense but oh, yeah. being in those blinds changes that cone if that's the only thing that i can figure i mean i was able to have mature bucks uh, walk right past me walk right under me never look at the blind never no inclination as to you know me being there um, so I'm, I'm going to really test that this year. I just set a new one last week in a bottom on a Creek on a, on a place that I can only hunt a few days out of the year. Looking forward to hunting that set. I've got two big mature bucks there where that I'll be hunting. And, um, I'm, I'm hoping to, to be able to kill one of them out of it and fool them. Awesome. I, uh, I have two of those Crivomans actually, or I, I never know how to pronounce it, Crivoman or Crivoman, but <laughs> uh, yeah. But if it makes you feel better, I uh, last year I had one on a five foot platform and had one of my main target bucks come from downwind and uh, I shot him at eighteen yards out of it. Uh, and I even I was actually getting awesome. ready to go. It was it was getting real dark. Um, and honestly, I'd been hunting several days in a row. I was just tired. I shouldn't have been packing up already, but I had already closed all the windows and everything. And uh, he came out right in front of me, and I was able to get the window open and get him killed with him right there, eighteen to twenty yards after coming from downwind. So, uh, right, yeah, I, I have a lot of faith in those things too. Yeah, I I, I do too. That's awesome. And uh, one tip for that is, you know, I'm filming, so mm-hmm. our camera lens pulls more light than than what our eye does. Um, I would suggest if anybody hunts that way to to stick them a little light in there, even though you might have a a, a light on your on your bow sight. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you don't have is you don't have any light where your peep is at. Because mm-hmm. I've crawled out of the travel man, and what brought this up is you saying that it, you were getting ready to go. Mm-hmm. I, I bet had had you opened your door or had that buck not come in and you walked out, you you would have thought, man, I still had another five minutes of shooting light. Mm-hmm. So if you have some kind of light that you can flip on in there and so that you can see through your peep, um, there were several times this year I'd get out of that blind because they are so dark. I have the four window version instead of the six uh-huh. and would crawl out and I'd be like, man, I could have stayed five more minutes. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, my camera was, my camera was showing I still had light enough to shoot a buck, but you know, I'd pull my bow back and couldn't see through my peep. So mm-hmm. what I started, I'm just mounted a little light to the roof of it that I can push. You know, and just mm-hmm. it just clicks on. I, I think I got them at Harbor Freight. Gotcha, gotcha. Awesome. That's that is a good tip. 
Um, I don't want to cut you off from the wind, any any other wind or thermal uh, things before we move on. Um, no, I mean it's just as far as hunting the mountains. Um, you know, everywhere we hunt, we got to deal with the wind. Mm-hmm. Um, the main thing to know is you need to know where your deer are bedding, where they're going to, where they're coming from, and and play the wind. As far as the thermals, like I said, they're they're just as important. Um, we can use all the sprays in the world. I, I do believe in that stuff. Um, I, I think the more you can do, the more you can use a system, the, the, the better chances, the, the more opportunities you're going to have. All right. Sorry, folks. Quick little break in the program here. Uh, the program that I used to record these, I ran out of credits. So we had to pause and then call back. And so we're going to pick up right where we left off right here. You didn't miss anything, I promise. Here we go. Okay. Well, what I was saying is I, I do believe in the scent control products. Um, I believe in using a system um, from showering to even washing your towel that you dry off with, um, you know, it be washed in, in a scent control product. Um, I think the more we can do, the, the less human scent or the less uh, scent that we can carry into the woods, the better. Um you know, the, the if we can just keep from educating that buck and him pinpointing where we're at, or that you know those matriarch does, uh, they seem to bust you more in the mountains than a buck does. But um, one thing that I will say, no matter what system you use or whatever you do, um, when you get to your stand, no matter what your hunt app said, no matter what the weatherman said, and your wind is wrong, I I, I don't care. Get out. Uh, don't sit there. Don't stay there. Don't. If you're if you've got one big buck that you're hunting and he's in that area, go sit in another stand. Uh, not saying that you're going to see him there, but don't spoil your your one opportunity that you're going to get at uh, at getting an arrow in him. So, um, like I said, the box blind thing makes a little bit of difference, but. I just absolutely, if I am in a stand of any kind and the wind is wrong, even after a 30-minute setup, you know, I, I'm I'm getting down. I'm not going to chance it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved uh, at the conference one thing, you know, you asked who all uses or takes a scent-free shower, and, you know, a bunch of people raised their hand, and, and then you asked, you know, who just uses a normal towel to dry off, and pretty much everybody just kind of like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been Yeah, there was like too, one, so. one guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. You're you're drying off and putting downy all over you, mm-hmm. which is is still probably covering some of your human scent, but that's not a scent that the deer, you know, they don't smell downy in fabric softener every day. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about like ozone products? Have you ever used uh, scent crusher or ozonics or anything like that? I, I I'm not gonna lie. I have I have used them. Um, I. I, I probably will no longer use them mm-hmm. uh, since I had the pneumonia just mm-hmm. because there, I did a lot of research when I was in the hospital and mm-hmm. sick and, and there are some health risks associated with those things. And um, like our deer feeder, uh, that's user error. Mm-hmm. And um, I used them wrong too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, I felt like I needed to have that thing right next to me. Um so I, I won't be using them anymore. Do they work? I, I would say yes to a certain extent. Um, but is it worth the risk? 
uh, not after what I went through. Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, it to each his own, but I would just say read the precautions and follow them mm-hmm. on, on, on all that stuff. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about them also. Uh, I, I bought an Ozonics unit several years ago and used it and, and it, I'll admit it worked. Um, I mean, I, I would have deer just like it said in the commercials, you know, they'd come downwind, I'd see them stick their nose in the air and they'd come right through it. But I actually think that I overused it. Like I would, I would use it on my clothes and then I'd have it in the tree and I think, you know, even though it technically, like, you know, it's supposed to kill all odor, but, I, you know, I don't think there's no such thing as no odor. And I think that the deer actually got educated on that scent, you know, whatever that, whatever scent it created when it was killing all the other scent. Yeah. Um, and I actually think they learned what that was. And I, I was spooking deer right. that I think wouldn't have even spooked if I wasn't using it. Um, and so yeah, yeah. I, I think they have a place, but I, I think you can overdo it as well. Right, you can, and uh, you know, anytime they associate any scent with danger, mm-hmm. um, we use a product called No Scent that attacks at a molecular level, and um, you know, you guys can look them up. It's it's a great product. Um, that there's there's all kinds of stuff that other companies make. Um, I would be careful with some of the stuff that you buy at big box stores. Mm-hmm. Um, I would a quality product and use it and do the do the research yourself. Um, you know, uh, test it on a shoe. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen no scent sprayed in a shoe with a kid that basically had jungle rot at an outdoor show and that shoe stunk from 20 feet away. And after they sprayed it with it, you you couldn't smell it. Um, so that was, that was the one thing that I saw that turned me onto that product. And I was like, I got to talk to these guys cause, cause I want to use it. And I bought some of that at that show. Um, but the same thing can be said with, uh, with cover scents and, and, um, you know, deer urine and things like that. You know, the overuse of it is, uh, just remember a little bit of that stuff goes a long way. So, um, a lot of hunters get in trouble, you know, because they, they pour half a bottle out or they put half a bottle on a drag rag. And, and that's, I mean, in my opinion, that's just way too much. The times that I've used more it seems like I've always gotten busted or I've really upset that, that old matriarch doe and, and she just went through the woods blowing like crazy because she knows it's not natural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a, a big mistake a lot of people make is definitely overusing that stuff, especially like in scrapes and stuff like that. You know, they think a little bit's good and a whole lot's better. So, uh, right. yeah, use that stuff as it's intended. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I want to talk about bedding too. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, your average deer hunter, they think of bedding, they think of, uh, you know, thick cover and stuff like that. But a lot of times you don't have super stuff or super thick stuff up in the mountains. Um, so first question is, you know, what kind of stuff are you looking for when it comes to bedding or, you know, what kind of terrain do bucks use, uh, the edges or fallen trees, stuff like that. And then second part of the question is, do you ever, do you ever try to like create bedding? Like, do you ever, you know, cut trees or timber stand improvement, that type of thing to try to create your own bedding areas? Yeah, we, we have areas that we stay out of and that we intentionally uh, don't mow or spray. Um, and I have done some of the hinge cutting, you know, laying over trees and allowing them, you know, where they'll still grow. Mm-hmm. They're, they're still connected to the tree and, and that will create some, some bedding areas too. 
Um, I mean, I've had deer in the mountains, uh, literally bed on the edge of roads. Uh, what, whatever little meadow is there depends on the time of year where they're bedding. Um, one thing that I found is, is in the hills during the winter, you know, we don't get real cold in Oklahoma anymore. Um, like we used to, but, but still those deer in mid November through December and as part of our season running in January, they'll, they'll bed on the South facing slope because our sun in the winter in the late fall and winter is more, it sets more to the South or to the South, you know, all day. So those, those deer. So if you can keep from approaching on that side, you're set, you know, that'll, that'll help you out because they seem to be laying in those sunny spots on the side of the ridges, you know, staying warm. Um, but I mean, bedding is just, that's kind of a hard topic to cover and to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of my spots that I hunt in the mountains, I try to stay out of the thickest areas, but close to them, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, I really don't pin a, you know, I learned a term from Jeff called pushing the button, and I had never heard of that. And, and uh, you know, basically what that means is moving in on your deer, uh, moving in on your mature buck uh, into his bedding area. When should you do that? And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to hunt. How, how many, you think I'd know this doing this this long? What do we have, 100 almost 100 or 115 yep. days something like that 105 so, days of yeah, hunting season just about um and i'll i will hunt around 80 of those of those days so um so when you go i personally i'm not going to push a button on a deer until the end of season um uh, you know because for part of that season, he's not going to be in that bedding area. For four to six weeks, he, he's just not going to be there. He's out running does, chasing does, breeding. He may be five miles away and then come back to it. Um, that's when I'll push the button on a deer is usually around, you know, usually around the about the December 5th, 7th, 10th area, you start getting pictures of him again. He's just, If you haven't killed him yet, you know, he, or know that somebody's killed He's been gone for four to six weeks, and he shows back up. So what I like to do is let it get colder and colder and colder, let him get on a food pattern and move in closer to his – he's been pressured all year, so, you know, he's not just going to walk out in the broad daylight. Mm-hmm. He, he's going he's gonna to move late, but he's going to come feed. He has to. His body requires it. You know, he's malnourished. He's been beat up. He's got to eat. So that's when I'll move close to his bedding area and and set up on him is is you know usually around christmas time i've killed a lot of deer during that week of christmas or or after christmas mm-hmm. i've killed a lot of mature bucks doing that yeah yeah i i absolutely love late season i think i think half the bucks on my wall have come after christmas uh last year right. i killed one december 28th and then the year before that i killed both of them in january i killed one january 1st and one january 8th uh, so I, I absolutely love that late season. If you have the food, a lot of people have either tagged out or they've given up. Uh, you know, they're they're sick of hunting. Uh, if you can keep the food out and, and stay in the weather, late season is an amazing time to kill a deer. It sure is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, I think this is the last topic I got, and then I'll, I'll ask you if I missed anything, but 
uh, trail cameras. Uh, what's your strategy on trail right. cameras? You mentioned cell cams earlier. Uh, I know a lot of people probably try to stray away from cell cams because they think they're not going to have service. Um, just kind of what's your general cell cam or uh, just trail camera in general? Uh, what's your general strategy? Right. I am getting a call just a second. Okay. No problem. Sorry about that. That's all right. um, so I, I, I use trail cameras for a big part of my scouting. Uh, nothing beats boots on the ground, but it is. I will just tell you there's a lot of people that do it. I'm not one of these guys that gets down out of my stand and goes and scouts. Mm-hmm. If I happen to see a fresh scrape, I might hang a camera on it, but I, I don't go looking for that sign. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look for that after season. Um, that's that's why I tell people to shed hunt. Don't shed hunt to go find antlers. Shed hunt to scout mm-hmm. and just hope that you're blessed enough to find some antlers. But when you do, that antler is going to tell you a whole lot. So, um, that's, that's when I like to do my scouting and find the, the big tree rubs, the direction that the deer had been coming from his bed to feed, uh, the way that he goes back, you know, uh, we're pretty wet that time of year during the winter. So even though we don't get snow, you know, you're able to read a, a, a mature buck's tracks and what direction he's, he's going on his trail and which one he goes up, which one he comes down, um, and using the trail cameras to pinpoint that particular buck and know that it's the same deer is what I like to do. Um, so trail cameras during the season, you know, they tell us a lot. A lot of people believe in them. Some people don't. I, I choose the cell phone cameras because, as with anything else, the the more you go check an SD card, the the more you're leaving your footprint, the more you're leaving your scent. Um, and during season, that's not a good thing, you know, to be doing, uh, when the bucks are in the velvet, they don't, and they're in their bachelor groups, they don't, they don't care. Um, I've had guys argue that, but everywhere I've hunted, I've literally had bachelor groups of mature bucks, watch me take in feed, watch me change batteries in a trail camera and I'm leaving on the buggy and they're already in the feeder pens eating. Um, the cell phone cameras will work in the mountains in most areas. Uh, two, three years ago, they weren't that great, but but now the technology has come so far um, that I think they use, they work really well. I mean, I don't seem to have any issues with them. Whether I'm, you know, I might not have a cell phone signal to make a phone call, but for some reason, my trail cameras are working and sending pics. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. And what I, I like to do is, is, is log, you know, I talked about that a, a, a little bit. Um, I, I name my deer, especially the mature bucks. And, and the reason why I name them is not to, not to be funny or have a, an awesome name for a buck. It's so that I can personally keep up with them. Um, so I like to log what deer, what day that say I have a buck, his name is Booner, or I have a buck whose name is Hoss. I like to log what days that they daylighted. Um, I look at the moon phase on the calendar. I, I keep a log book that that's pretty extensive. And for 12th last year, I got a picture of Booner at 11 a.m. This year, I'm going to be setting November 10th, 11th, and 12th all day on Booner in that same location because they do the same thing. 90% of the time they do the same thing every year. If I know he's still alive, 
I have killed some folks doing that, and I've also messed it up uh, because I went in on wrong winds, so, and I hunted those stands. But uh, like I said earlier, with this new uh, thing I figured out with the elevated ground blinds, I, I think I'm going to be able to hunt some bad winds and hunt some of those bucks that daylighted the year before and and get away and get an arrow, you know, be able to get an arrow in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I sure hope you do. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to watching it. So yeah, um, right. Any any topics, tips, or tricks that I missed? Anything that you're passionate about that you want to get out to the folks? Man, I I, I we we covered a lot mm-hmm. so. I can't think of anything particular. Just uh, just hunt hard and scout hard, and just remember ninety percent of hunting and scouting. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, very little of it's killing. Uh, to, to me, that's what gets me going is the scouting and trying to figure them out and and naming a buck and picking that one buck and and hunting him. Now, I don't have an issue with a two hundred just walking past me <laughs> that that I've never known. Uh-huh. You know, in uh-huh. fact, I. I that's something I've been praying for because I have drove myself crazy over the years over some 200 inch deer. And, and, um, you know, a lot of people know the story about a deer in the mountains we call big boy. Uh, I hunted that deer for several years and, and actually passed him three out of four times because we couldn't get him on camera. Mm. And as crazy as that sounds and people hearing this is like, this guy is an idiot. Yep. You're right. I am. Um, I should have never done that. Uh, I, if if I could go back and do it over with, I would have I'd have shot him the first time I saw him, whether he's on camera or not, because I can tell the story about him afterwards <laughs> and showing off a lot of good footage and pictures of his antlers and everything, every bump that's growing on him. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I really wanted that kill on camera, and uh, that was early in my hunting career, and and um, it, you know, I, I I knew that that would open a lot of doors uh for me so uh i chose to to make a mistake and let him walk those three times but uh just just hunt hard and and scout you you can't put enough time and effort into your scouting uh and 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 as far as the wind if it's wrong if i can give you any one tip if you're if you're outside in a ladder stand a climber or anything i i just i wouldn't hunt even if it meant me not hunting that day there, there's always another option, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Michael, this has been fantastic. Uh, I really appreciate it. Lots of good stuff. Um, before I let you go, though, I want to make sure people know where to find you. So uh, if uh, people want to uh, see you or your content, where do they need to go? Yeah, you can check us out on our social media pages. We would love the support and love to interact with you. Uh, that's one thing that I really like to do is is uh, interact with other hunters and see their pictures. So you can check us out on Instagram at Surrender Outdoors, uh, Facebook at Surrender Outdoors. Um, our website is surrenderoutdoors.com. Uh, we, we would love to have you go check that out. We do have a few podcasts there and um, and some stories up. And, and uh, you can find some of our episodes there as well. But if you want to watch our TV channel, um, we are local here out of Texoma on K10, which is a local uh, NBC affiliate in North Texas and southeastern Oklahoma. And our national airing is on Roku and Amazon Fire Stick. So we stream on a network called Gen 7 Outdoors. So basically you hook your Roku up or your, your Fire Stick, download Gen 7 Outdoors, 
And um, there's a lot of good, lot of good shows on there. And just search Surrender Outdoors. You can watch us on demand as well. And and uh, like I said, we'd love to have your support and and uh, love to be able to interact with you. So that's great. I just made a little note here. I got a got a Roku in the other room, so I'm gonna have to look it up. So. Uh, awesome. So- yeah, we're on Tuesday nights at eight. Okay. On Roku. Looking on forward GM7. to it. On GM7. Yep. Looking forward to it. Well, Michael, I really, really appreciate this. Um, it was great meeting you a week or so ago, and uh, it was great having you on today. Right. Well, I appreciate it, bud, and uh, good luck to you and all your listeners, and I, I hope you get the bump. Awesome. Same to you, man. Have a good season, and we'll talk to you later. All right, brother. God bless. Michael Harrell, everybody. Surrender Outdoors. Please, please go check out his social media pages. Go check out his show. He's extremely knowledgeable. He's been doing this for a very long time, and he's also just a great guy. Uh, Like I said, I got to meet him and talk to him for a few minutes a couple weekends ago. Not your typical standoffish uh, TV personality. Really engaged with people, answered questions, stood around and talked. uh, You know, just just made you feel appreciated. So so go check him out. Uh, Check out all of his social media, like I said, his show. Follow along with him this year. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this here show. Thank you for following along with me. Hunting season is here, guys. It is here. We made it. Uh, so obviously we have a lot of awesome content coming up. Uh, I wish I could share it with you guys. Uh, I have uh, I already have a episode set up for next week and the week after that. So we have a lot of good content coming up. Uh, I'm going to be hunting Nebraska, like I said. So I'm sure we'll get an episode out of that, good or bad. Uh, and yeah, like I said, hunting season's here. I love hearing from you guys. I love bringing you guys along to follow along with me. Um, if you're out there listening and you think you have an awesome story for everybody, whether it be a success or a failure, hit me up on social media. Maybe we'll get you on the podcast. Um, if you have any other topics that you want to hear, hit me up. We'll try to get to them. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this week. Go shoot your bows, go shoot your rifles, go shoot your muzzle loaders, your crossbows, whatever you're going to be using, go practice with them. Thank you for listening to this show. I love you guys. And until next week, I will see you guys right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. 